we've been talking about the call of Moses. And um, the theme, if you haven't picked up on it this morning, is holiness. And as I was thinking about this sermon, this the words that I believe that God wants to share with us this morning, I, I was thinking about what's changed in my life from the time that I met Jesus to the time today. What's changed in the past year? What's changed in the past six months? How am I any different today than I was yesterday? How about you? I mean, think with me, if you will, to that burning bush experience, the time where God told you, take off the sand, take off your sandals, the place where you're standing is holy ground, right? You met God. You were invited into a relationship with God. We talked last week about this calling. It's not just a one-time thing. It's over and over and over again. So how about you? What's changed? Are you any different today than you were last year? If not, why not? We claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, right? We, we claim to be followers of God, but I wonder if we really if we really think about what that means. Several years ago, Shay and I attended a conference, and we were posed with a question. The question was, is, are you present? The speaker wanted us to understand, you can be somewhere physically, but not somewhere emotionally, Right? You can be somewhere physically, but not spiritually as well. You can sign up for something, but not be fully committed. You can agree to go swimming with your friends, but if you never get out of the kiddie pool, are you really swimming? The point is, we say we're something when we're really not. We agree to do something not knowing what we're getting into. You remember the John 6 text where Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, you can have no part. And they began to grumble amongst themselves, saying, this is a hard teaching. Who can? They began to go one by one away from Jesus. We're loyal, but only to a point. People pledge vows to one another, as you know, all the time, only to be decommitted a few years later. I've read of a man named Peter, and you have perhaps as well. Peter said, I will follow you to the end, Jesus. I won't turn back like the rest. And the next thing I know, Peter's saying, I don't know the man. Three times. Throughout Scripture, God tells us to be holy. God tells us to be set apart. God tells us to be different than the rest of the world. But I wonder, I look in the mirror and I wonder, am I really different? Am I really set apart? Am I really after this holiness that God calls me to? We realize we're not perfect, right? And so we give up or we rationalize our sin or we give excuse after excuse to God of why we can't or why we shouldn't do what he's called us to do. Instead of being the salt that preserves that which is good, or instead of shining a light 
to reveal what is hidden in the darkness, we begin to look more like the world. We're accused of being hypocrites, church, because all too often we are. Does that hurt? That's the truth. Those around us see it. But we'd like to think we're hiding the real us from everyone, including God. When we're told God loves us and wants to save us from eternal judgment, we can buy that. But we don't want to spend eternity away from God. But it's the hard work we don't like. It's the discipleship that we don't like. It's the daily grind. It's the spending time in the Word. It's the growing pains that we don't like. I remember a sign hanging in the junior high gym that said, no pain, no gain. That's true spiritually as well, right? The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God, but how do I know you have faith? How do you know I have faith? By what we say? No, by what we do. Faith without something behind it is just lip service. It's just... What about God's mission for us? If it's true that we've all been gifted in certain ways, are we willing to use those gifts? I guess we could ask the same question this way. Are we more about getting something than giving something? Are we more about getting something, consumerism, than giving something. Mark reminded us of John chapter 1 just a few moments ago where it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. God loved the world so much that He gave, it says. That He gave. What makes me different than what I used to be? Do we come to Christ to receive or do we come to Christ to serve? We're told to be holy, church, but are we set on being in the world without being of the world? You hear the difference? I'm prone to give God excuses. Somebody else will do that. I'm not really comfortable doing whatever you've asked me to do. I don't have the time or I don't want to make the time, or it goes on and on and on. And you do the same thing, right? We're no different than Peter or Jonah or Moses. We're in the middle of Moses' excuses here in Exodus chapter 4. Moses answered, but... They will not believe me. They won't listen to my voice, God. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to Moses, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. God said, throw the staff on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. 
that they, may, they, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak, and he put it inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. You hear what's going on here? God is trying to teach Moses that Moses isn't in control. I can't tell you how many times, church, that God tries to tell me, God tries to teach me that I'm not in control. You know what I'm saying? When God calls me to do something, guess what? God's already been working in whatever area it is He's called me to go. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome to think that wherever God has called me, I'm just a part of His big plan. Remember, I'm not the primary character. God is the primary character. You're not the primary character. God is the primary character. So when He calls us to do something and we give Him excuse after excuse after excuse, we're just like Moses who runs from the, the staff that he's told to throw on the ground. I don't know what I would think if I pulled my hand out of my cloak and it was leprous. What would you think? I mean, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a time to celebrate, would it? And yet God... God restores. If they will not believe you, it says in verse 8, God said, or listen to the first sign, then they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. By the way, do you know what happens later on? But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I don't, I'm not eloquent. Another excuse, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And here's where it gets really interesting because here is where Moses finally has a little bit of honesty. And in verse 13, he says, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. That's honest, right? I could give you excuse after excuse after excuse, but now let's just get to the, let's just cut to the chase. Would you just send somebody else? I don't want to do that. You've been there, I've been there. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him. You, will put words in his, you shall put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak, speak to you for the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Take in your hand this staff, which you shall do the signs. And Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, 
please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. The Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Now pay very close attention to these next few verses. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart. God's not surprised by anything, is he? But I will harden his heart so that he will not let these people go. You shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. You know the end of the story? Really interesting verses here. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So God left him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God, and he kissed him. And we have this fulfillment of God's declaration earlier in the chapter. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that these next few minutes, you will allow us to see, you will allow us to hear. You will allow us to act upon your word. May we be the people that you want us to be. Not just in this place on Sundays, or on Wednesdays, or when we gather, but when we go our separate ways. That you go before us, wherever we're called. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. I want to focus on just three verses here, verses 24, 25, and 26. This particular passage has given scholars, has given Bible students trouble for quite some time. I mean, we sing about God's goodness, right? We sing about God's love, and yet it says right here, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Those of you who were here last week will remember. God approached Moses from a burning bush and said, this is what I want you to do. He's got a plan. And now we get to chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, and all of a sudden, God wants to kill Moses? What's that all about? And it's not until his wife, named Zipporah, takes a flint and cuts off her son's foreskin. It's a circumcision. This is not a comfortable text, is it, fellas? 
It's not until Zipporah takes a flint and cuts off her son's foreskin and touches Moses' feet with it. That is strange. It's a weird text, right? What's this all about? Will you hold your thumb or put some kind of marker there in Exodus chapter 4 and turn back with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. This is a, this is a text where Abraham, or Abram becomes Abraham. Sarah becomes Sarah. This is the text where God has, has confirmed over and over and over again His promises, His, His covenant promise. And in Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 7, it says this, God speaking, of course, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you, to your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings. This is a promised land promise, right? All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I, I will be their God. Great promise. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout your generations. This is my covenant. Here's what it's going to look like. This is what you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Why would God ask such a thing? He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Listen to verse 14. Any uncircumcised male. Now, we just read in Exodus chapter 4. Zipporah goes over and circumcises her young child, right? Or we don't know how young he is at this time, but she circumcises her child, her son. She thought it was pretty important, I guess. Maybe this text had come to her. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That's God speaking. That's pretty important. Would you agree? If God speaks, is it pretty important? Yes. Does God say things that you think, really? He does, he does all the time, right? This text here in Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, is one of those texts where we think, man, why is this... Why is this in the Bible? If it's true, if it... 1 Timothy tells us all Scripture is God-breathed. Everything in this Bible is true. Everything is inspired for teaching, for correction, for rebuking. Even Exodus chapter 4, 24 through 26. Even a text as graphic as Zipporah, the wife of Moses, taking a flint and circumcising her child, her son. What's the big deal about about circumcision. Why would that be? It seems pretty important to God. It seems pretty important to Zipporah. 
How important is circumcision? How important is following through with something that you started? In other words, if you claim to be a people of God, how does the world know? If you're going to do as God has told you to do in Exodus chapter 3, Moses, are you in or are you out? Are you, are you completely in or are you just kind of partially in? Throughout Scripture, by the way, circumcision is understood as submission to God, belief in His promise. Can I say that again? That's, that's not a very popular word in our society today. Submission. We like control, don't we? I like control. You like control. Control is what causes us to sin. Control is what causes us to be selfish. Control is what makes me who I am. Control is what makes Paul say, I must crucify myself daily. Control is when we see that Romans 6 text where it says, dying to self, risen to walk in a newness of life, right? Throughout Scripture, circumcision is understood as submission to God and believing in His promise. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, it says, Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. You hear that? That's kind of strange, right? How do you circumcise the foreskin of your heart? I want you to understand before we go any farther, God is not so much concerned. He is concerned about a physical act in Genesis chapter 17, but it's much more than that. Circumcision is about something spiritual, lady, so don't check out. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Be no longer stubborn. Give up control, you could say. In chapter 30, verse 6, it says, God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you might live. In Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 4, verse 4 says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. Remember the man David, the King David, who says, God create in me a new heart. Give me something that's completely new. That's what he's getting at here, right? You may think this is an Old Testament concept. It's not an Old Testament concept, this idea of circumcision. Being set apart for, the, for God. But we are the circumcision, Paul says to the Philippian church. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You hear that? It's much more than a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Let me read it again for you. Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision. We, Paul, we are the circumcision. What are you talking about, Paul? For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If you're not aware of it, there are those in the group, good Jews, that claim their heritage is what gets them close to God. And Paul has said over and over and over again in his letters, it's not anything in the flesh. 
It's not following the 613 laws. It's not dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. There's nothing we can do. It's been done for us. The propitiation. Big 50 cent word. It's been done for us. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ by what we can do. That's the only reason we can do those things. Do you understand? The righteousness, the diakosune, the the, the holiness, the, the perfection of Jesus Christ is what gives us hope. And yet we still have a responsibility. That's, that's the point. That's the point. In Exodus chapter 3, God calls from a burning bush and says, Moses, Moses, take off the sandals. The place where you were standing is holy ground. Why is it holy? We talked about it last week. It's holy because God's presence is there. And God calls Moses to do something. And Moses gives excuse after excuse after excuse of why he couldn't do what God calls him to do. And God answers, and God answers, and God answers. And He tells him what's going to happen, even to the point of saying, you're going to meet your brother Aaron. You're going to throw your hands around his neck. And he's going to throw his hands around your neck. And you're going to embrace, and it's going to be a revival. It's going to be a time that family comes together, and you and him are going to go and speak on behalf of me to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And the Israelites are going to be flee from bondage. You know, we never really have talked about the meaning of Exodus, have we? You guys think you know the meaning of Exodus because when we think of Exodus, we think of Moses leading the Israelites to the promised land. It's much more than that. It's a leaving for sure. But it's a leaving of the old going to something that's new. It's a leaving of the old going to something that's new. It's Paul saying the old man must die so the new man can live. It's Jesus saying, I have come that you may have life. Abundant life. Or life to the full. You get the idea? In other words, it's not just about a nation of Israel. It's about you and I. God wants to provide exodus for each one of us. A leaving of the old and moving toward the new. The old man must die so that the new man can live. The whole point of the Lazarus story in the Gospels is not just the oohs and ahs that Jesus gets. Do you understand? The whole point of the Lazarus story, when Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, is so that everybody else from that point forward will know that that's what he wants to do in your life. And in your life, and the people that you meet in the world, He wants to do the same thing for every one of us. Put your name in the blank. Dinah, come forth. Carol, come on. God wants to provide an exodus for every one of us. It's not just a story about a nation. 
Do you understand what's going on? But to do that, to have that exodus, you have to leave the old. What's the point of circumcision? Leaving the old. You must be set apart. Leviticus 11.44 says, Be holy. Be set apart. Why? Because God is set apart. Because God is no different. Or God is no, no, no similar to any other gods. Right? God is, is, is above all gods. Be holy because I am holy. Later on it's quoted in 1 Peter. Be holy because God is holy. Be different because God is different. But to do that, you've got to You've got to circumcise yourself. You've got to circumcise the, the foreskin of your hearts, as we just read. Right? I, I've, I've shared with you guys before. A Sunday night, eight years old, Hobbs, New Mexico, where it was just, there was probably 300 people there. I don't, I don't know how many people that were there, but it seemed like it was just me and the preacher. And I realized I needed something. I needed this God that he had been preaching about. I, I needed a relationship with Jesus. That's when I met Jesus. I had heard about Jesus in children's church, and I had heard about Jesus at vacation, but, but I, there was something unique about that time, and I was, I was baptized quickly thereafter. But listen, I was never circumcised until my early 20s. You understand what I'm saying? If you never leave the old, you're still in bondage. Think with me for a second. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is given the Great Commission and He says, Go into all the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them and do all these things, right? He could have said, make sure, make sure you teach them about circumcision. That's what he's doing here in Exodus chapter 4. Make, make sure they understand you've got to leave the old. You can't live with one foot in the world and, and one foot in the kingdom. Let me ask you a question real quick. Maybe you've met Jesus. Maybe you know about God. Maybe you've, been in, maybe you've been in the baptistry. Maybe you got in the baptistry a long time ago. But you realize you've never left the old. You're kind of comfortable with the old. You know what it says? Well, I'll read it again for you. Chapter 17, verse 14 of Genesis. Sounds pretty important to me. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in his flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. It's not just a physical thing, church. It's a spiritual thing. The reason that Zipporah takes a flint out and cuts off her son's foreskin and touches Moses' feet with it, says, surely you are a bridegroom to me, is reminding Moses, hey, you've got to be fully committed to this. If God has called you to do something, you can't just be halfway in. If you're a follower of God, church, you can't just be halfway in. 
You, you can't be playing the game. There were a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees in the New Testament who were just playing the game, right? They were religious people. They would come to church every Saturday, every Sunday. They would go through the motions. But spiritually, they were never circumcised. They had never, they have never moved past the old man. Is that you? way my mind's been working the last couple of weeks. Is that me? Have I really gotten to a point where I'm so comfortable with church that discipleship has taken a back seat? That, that growing has taken a back seat? I, I hope that's not the case for you. I pray it's not the case for me. I hear words like holiness. You guys know what holy means. Holiness means to be set apart. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. I can't tell you how many times I've sang that chorus over the last couple of weeks. And we sing choruses like that, and they're, they've got nice little melodies, and nice little tunes, but do we sing them with any integrity at all? I really... I really want to be set apart. I really want to be different than the rest of the world. Righteousness. Righteousness means a correct, a right standing with God. The only thing that makes me righteous in God's eyes is the blood of Jesus Christ. That gift is pretty valuable. Faithfulness. Am I really faithful? I'm not talking about if you come to church. I'm not talking about much more than that. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness is what God wants for every one of us. Holiness, righteousness, faithfulness. Are you in? Or are you out? Moses had to figure it out. You know, God could show up in a burning bush. And before God's going to do something with Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and release the Israelites from bondage, hear me out. Before God does any of those things, God's going to do a work in Moses' life. And he's going to do it by way of circumcision, reminding Moses of who he claims to be, a follower of God. Exodus is not just a book in the Bible. Exodus is something that God wants for you. He wants for me. Let me remind you just one more time before I pray. God will circumcise your heart so that you will love your God with all your heart 
all your soul so that you might live. For we are the circumcision church who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Have you been circumcised? Are you leaving that old man behind? 